I know the world is a different place right now and that you are no longer able to service your members inside your brick and mortar. Maybe you're in the stage where you're starting to open up the doors to your members at your brick and mortar. But if you have not realized that remote digital live streaming on-demand services is a thing of the future, a thing of now, it's not even the future, it's fucking now, then I don't know what you think you're going to do with your micro gym over the next 10 plus years. You need to get with Studio. Studio is a product by Flex. It allows micro gym owners a free to use platform, free to use platform to upload all of your media content and distribute it to your members in a way that gives them an amazing UX user experience into a well-branded, crisp, clean app. You're able to see engagement in there. You're able to create community. You're able to upload different playlists and styles of workouts so that your workouts, your app now through Studio for your micro gym becomes the Netflix of workouts for your members. Go and check out Studio. The link is in my Instagram bio. Get signed up. It is free. The crew over at Flex made this for you guys to help get you through this pandemic, and you need to take advantage of it. Go set up your studio. Hit me up and share with me. I'd love to see how it's going. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and it is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast and i always get weird when i'm here because like i don't feel like i'm not in my place doing it so whatever but i think it's funny at this point now i don't even ask i just like (laughs) assume that you're gonna come here (laughs) i got another episode with jamming with joe and we're sitting here catching up this is the first one of uh uh, Biente Biente, that's Spanish for 2020. Oh, wow. Well, Happy New Year. Feliz Navidad. Whatever. uh... Yeah. uh, So uh, 2021. Biente y Biente Uno. I don't know that. Um, I'm not good at Mexican, but it's uh, it is 2021, and my hope is that this year is. I don't want it to be like a Fast and Furious sequel that they just get worse and worse and worse from the original one <laughs> right. until Paul Walker dies. Right. Tragically. And then they're and, producing multiple at once. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, fuck. Um, so I'm hoping this won't be a really shitty sequel to 2020, but we're off to a good start. Off to a great start. The best is fucking uh, Linda Feingold, uh, an account I follow on Instagram with Kirill. He was on the... Um, Social. It was like American meme. It was a, a documentary on Netflix, and he just posts this meme. It's the picture. Did you see the guys that took over the Capitol? Like yeah. Some of them. The one dude kind of dressed like he looked like Chewbacca, like and he was, like, was in a furry, like, yeah. furry outfit, and it literally just had a picture of the three of them when they were standing like on top of like the I don't know the stage or the court wherever like Congress and all that the Capitol people sit and do business or uh, political shit. <laughs> and Lily Gabshaw was. You know, $10 billion spent in U.S. defense last year, and the Capitol building was overthrown by Duck Dynasty and Chewbacca. And it's just these three <laughs> oh guys standing God. there, just these fucking hillbilly Trump guys. Um, but yeah, so I think 2020 is off to a killer start. I, um, 2021. I think 2021 is not going to be what everyone wants. Like, so 2020.5, is that really what we should just if call you it? Go, if you go into my world of, like, I believe that happiness is found in the difference of expectation and reality when reality exceeds your own expectation – I feel like we need to set our bar a little lower, right? Like, I actually think that we're going to see way more economic hardships in the first – like, it's, I know it's not a great – it's, it's Bro, better at the end of the year. Bucks. What are you talking it's about? Enter- you, got, you got $600 <laughs> coming your way with your – maybe even 2K now. You kidding me? That means I have to pay my 2018 taxes. <laughs> so I fucking, I'm definitely ahead right now. I'm not good at politics. I don't know any of it. So Isaac, she's so up on it. So Isaac will be, you know, she's like, did you know what happened? There's going to be a civil war. I'm like – is it happening here, like right now? Like, is it is it coming into my office? Because otherwise, I don't fucking care, right? You can't. I can't care. You There's can't. no bandwidth to care about it until it's at my front door. Um, but she she's like, yeah, she's like, well, the you know the 
there's six hundred dollars on the table for a stimulus bag. I'm like, great, good, grand. She's like, and they might make it too. I'm like, good, great, grand. More people buy flat screen TVs, right? Right. Like, I mean, I guess maybe that jump starts the economy if X amount of people get the money and then invest all, you know, spend. I mean, that's why they give it. Correct. Right? Like, it just it goes right back into the system. They're trying to do that, correct. and I think that right now it's probably going to go to new home stuff because yeah. everyone's spending so much time in their home that they hate the rug that they have <laughs> have been ignoring since they moved in. <laughs> so she's giving me updates on this whole thing, and I just. I've never like. Did, did you vote? Did yeah. Talk about this last time. Yeah. I uh, I'm so not. I it's not that I don't care about politics and I, but I I don't I'm not a good patriot. I don't think I'm like a really good American. Like I really like the amount that there could be so much shit like right outside the doorstep of what's happening. I unless it's literally at my feet and maybe I just feel like I'm my head's down and I'm sprinting because we got the license thing going right now and I'm trying to get this long form podcast up and running and find spot. Like I I don't know maybe it's because I'm down, my head's down and I'm sprinting but I feel like a shitty American because she's telling me literally like people storm the Capitol but like and I was like it literally it was the equivalent of her telling me like there's a, a cat outside. Like, literally, that was how much it registered on my But head. I also think that that's, like, a true sign of an entrepreneur. Because, like, at some point, you're just in it for so long that you're used to hearing the craziest stuff ever and just not having any reaction to it because you can't. Yeah, you, you can just to, be jaded after 2020. You have to stay thinking yeah. clearly. You have to stay on your feet, right? So if this was in your business, which is where I thought you were going with that metaphor, where it's like, you know, this is like somebody coming to me and telling me that half my building's on fire, sure. right? It's like, well, no, because that would actually warrant a response. And this one doesn't because there's nothing I could directly do today to stop everyone from overtaking the capital so like let me know when there is something and in the meantime i'm going to continue to build the business that covid bent over the table so yeah. it's like i feel like there's that at play because i feel like a lot of my friends that are entrepreneurs are not very political like i think that there reaches a level where you start to become political because you're playing in the games of trying to sway people's opinions but at a ground level it's like i have too much work to do to also like to start ingesting that and really understanding it for the social of what it is today. That's the Richter scale for me. Like, I will have no idea anything's going on. Like, I don't watch news. I don't read news. I Like, my, I only get news, and I see, like, on my Richter scale, there's blips when I see angry people on Facebook talking about things. I go, ooh, something probably happened. Right. I'll ask somebody who's educated about this later, right? So, right. Like, later on, like, a couple of days, I'm going to be, hey, Isaac, saw a lot of angry people on Facebook recently. Did something happen? She's like, uh, yeah, the Dems took over the hot, whatever the fuck it was. I was like... Oh, I don't know what that means, but uh, I always right. know because uh, when I go on Instagram, the stories that are at the top, if I, I have like, like three or four friends, you yeah. know, that only post stories when something sure. like that's going on, I'm like, oh, something happened today. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, I just I do not have the bandwidth for it, though. Um, but one thing there's, you know, we were talking about the podcast. There are stories that do hit the bandwidth that other I, I, I heard it. I knew it was coming. And you, as soon as you mentioned it, I went back into my ads manager and I did look on mobile on your Facebook business page. Like, literally, it's there every time. Even when I X out of it, it pops back up. There's a giant warning or a giant announcement at the top of Facebook uh, Business Suite is what they're calling it now, the new app. It literally just says, if you haven't heard, Apple is blah, 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 will be limiting blah, 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 blah. It's going to impact your reach, blah, 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 blah. And it's an entire hit, you know, thing. And it will not go. It's, I mean, they are shoving it down the throats. For everyone uh, that's listening that might not be familiar with the Apple Facebook um, volatility currently right now. Break that down for everybody. So um, I think there's something bigger at play, but the specific headline would be that Apple's cracking down on privacy. They have ever since the first Facebook stuff happened a couple of years ago. Cambridge Analytica, is that what Yeah, the Cambridge Analytical leak. Um, and now Apple has to focus on something other than innovation because Steve Jobs isn't around anymore. So they're hyper-focused on privacy. 
and and a lot of the they're stuff that they're car ta- Joe, they're making a fucking car. They're gonna try anything, right? Because, and this is and that's a whole another conversation which I'm happy to get into. But I feel like so the headline reads that Apple's um, striking down, and they're not changing the way that it would work. They're changing the awareness to the consumer of what's being tracked. So I mean, they're playing uh, they're playing the high card here, which is like the hey, we're not telling you you can't do the same things you always did with Facebook. We're just letting you know that when the customer downloads your app or tries to use it, we're gonna tell them. Hey, Facebook's tracking you to other apps that you use on your phone and the internet. Are you okay with that? So it puts you in this weird position of like, okay, most consumers seeing anything that says, hey, we want more of the information than you already give us, they're going to say no by default. Unless there's something in it. It's the same thing with like the face privacy issues of 2014 when it was like, is this defaulted to private or public? And now Apple's like, we're defaulting it to asking the user. And the user's going to say no. So what would that do for me? So urban okay. movement, we're running ads. This hits, and the majority of people – and is it is it, is it a new iOS, or is it just instantly happening? It's new iOS. So technically, you, I mean, if people don't, don't. update, they won't see this Because right now we're on iOS 14, right, mobily? Yeah. Is that right? So, is, so. Is this Or maybe be? this is iOS. I forget which exactly. Okay. So whatever iOS we're staying now, this is the one, the, the most recent one, will have these features. Or yes, recurring. the next version that comes out will have these features. Got it. And um, I think it's slated for spring. Okay. So I'm advertising. Let's say I'm doing uh, $100 a day. So, all right. So 100 bucks a day, three grand a month. And I'm trying to blast all of Charlotte's within a four-mile radius of urban movement with engagement ads, conversion ads, all that. What happens? Um, it really messes with your detailed targeting. So the idea is that for Facebook to be able to really pump their algorithms to help you the most, they have to feed it a bunch of data. And that's kind of like the basis of machine learning is the idea that we want to put a bunch of stimulus into a thing and say what the outcomes are and then tell us what the rules are. So that's like your basic learning module for a machine learning program. So it needs as much of your data as possible to then give a very informed decision to a person that's trying to target CrossFit people within a four-mile radius of the Charlotte City Center. Well, the only way you can know that is what you're doing on Facebook as you thought. So a detailed target will pretty much be so, – but if I'm – let's say – Well, I'm no, doing, so it doesn't go away because okay. they're still able to access anything that you do within the app. Sure. What this is stopping is that – and this is what people don't normally know, which is why I think there's not as big of a stir among small businesses who don't necessarily leverage these things or understand how the mechanics of it work, which is anything that's free, they're taking your – they're monetizing your data. Okay? So it's either data or advertising, and normally it's a combination of both, right? Because the data that they get is what they collect to then serve the ads. So when you're using Facebook and you're going and I say, ooh, I like Urban Movement on Facebook, now he knows I like fitness, and based on what Urban Movement's platform has and who the followers are, it's able to then create a more targeted profile for you as a consumer, right? Well, what they also track you doing is anything you do from Facebook, and that's what people start to like, oh, wait, what do you mean? So when you're on Facebook on your phone and you see something like, let's see, you see Bose headphones, right? You know now, at least in 2021, that if you click on a Bose ad, you're going to see it in your Instagram feed. You're going to see it everywhere else. What you may not know is that if you see that Bose ad and don't click on it because you think you're smart and you go into your Chrome tab and you open up and you Google search, I want to search Bose headphones because I don't want to get – it's the same thing. Facebook actually also knows that you just searched it on Google and normally will track a few pages, a few clicks from where you go from there which now tells you consumer buying habits, who's more likely to convert. That's why when I say like, you know, depending on how much you spend on a conversion, it's how likely they are to convert. Not necessarily how likely they are to convert on your offer. So some people 
avidly buy stuff from Facebook ads. So Facebook's prompted to put you in front of people that are more likely to convert, not necessarily for gyms, but for any offer on Facebook sure. becomes a limiter. Detailed targeting comes a lot from the buying habits that you have after you use the apps. What is Facebook making you do and what are you doing do to get to Facebook? It. So all of that stuff goes into a user profile that then these ads, and then on your side, from a, from a business standpoint, it says CrossFit and you just check a box or you click that detail and now it says, we're gonna aggregate what that means but you're able to target that person. So Facebook will now know that after I price check my Bose headphones on Google and then I immediately go to Pornhub, they're going to get that that is my, exactly. that's my, that's my workflow. Yeah. And those are going to be the kind of ads I'm going to get. And now they're going to know. They're going to know he's into African-American midgets. But so, so I think that the, the nerves should be like, so you, you were bringing up like a specific example of, oh, I spend $3,000 a month. The prediction and what Facebook is going heavy in on. Now, how do you know that Facebook's, actually impacted by this, right? Because a lot of times we hear stories like this and you're like, this is just the big guys, the big players throwing out this this war. And I think there's actually a bigger thing at play. So we're getting a little bit into my opinion and you know, not necessarily exactly what's happening, but it kind of feels like Apple is losing a little bit, even though they're growing exponentially still, um, because it, they haven't innovated in the way that the iPhone has created innovate, right? Like the, there's so much that was created from iTunes and the media sources and having this Apple Music and, and those kind of platforms, but their whole stake is the iPhone. The iPhone is what makes Apple Apple because it's in a billion people's pockets. Correct, it's the hardware and that everybody it's has. Not, no, and see, this is where I'm gonna nuance this. It's not everyone. It's everyone that they know buys Apple products, and that's so much more important. They've literally targeted demographic, and this is why just before this we had this kind of discussion where I was like, my big prediction, not necessarily now, but I think in the future, Apple can see Peloton as a potential acquisition because Peloton has the exact customer that buys Apple products. These are synonymous. So you're basically just enveloping another way for people to get indoctrinated into what will eventually become the service rundle, as I like to call it, from Apple, which is here's all of our services a la carte. Sure. You want music? Cool. Yeah. You want fitness? Cool. You want health stuff? Cool. Yeah. And you're just clicking these things, and all of them, all they're doing is connecting you with technology that gives them the huge margin to be able to continue the distribution. So now they get you to buy the Apple Watch because it makes sense because now you can track your music and your steps and all, right? It's like, so they're trying to create a fully connected universe of a billion of the wealthiest people. Is there anything different anyone listening to this should be thinking of with their Facebook marketing? Oh, right 100%. Okay. Number one is stop thinking that Facebook marketing is the only way that you can acquire customers. That's like a huge thing for me. I definitely promote Facebook advertising to a lot of people because they're interested in it and I want to meet them where they're at. It's not the best way for everybody. Sure. And especially nowadays, this is no different than going all in on Instagram and not having any idea to how to use any other app, right? It's like you kind of have to know how to use a little bit different, but also what works across any platform. And do these, do these rules also extend to Instagram? Yeah, well, it extends to everything. Got it. And that's why, so when I was speaking about before, I do feel like there's a bigger thing at play here because Apple feels like is getting a little nervous because they're hitting... Um, antitrust lawsuits and things like that with companies as big as uh, who the one that does the video game. God, I'm, I'm uh, who's the, what's the big video game? Fortnite. Fortnite. So the people who own Fortnite, the other billion dollar company, they're suing Apple because of their rights around the Apple store, right? Because they take a 30% cut of all in-app and subscription purchases. So think about Apple getting 30% of Spotify's revenue seems like kind of messed up when they have a competing product, right? So that's a literal monopoly. I don't understand why that's not broken up, but that's what's going after. So they're trying to figure out a way to start closing down their openings so that people can't get inside. And now they have a billion customers 
and they don't need new ones. It really doesn't matter. They're, it, they're creating a generational um, association with Apple of being an elite tier product. Sure. And as long as they don't lose that, they'll always be able to survive. So when you see Facebook taking out, they took out a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal. They took out a full page ad in the Times to talk about how Apple is going to hurt. But of businesses. course they don't say like, this is hurting our bottom line. They say it's crushing small businesses. Yeah, because small businesses, we've all developed a, you know, it's like tap in the vein. We, we've all developed a reliance on this. Yeah. There's, you know, the company. A reliance on technology that, that, to be honest, is fairly pervasive and now and now is being exposed and this is how i always feel where it's like you know oh these companies got too big you know well now what are we going to do we don't want government intervention right because we know that that'll stifle business creation so we don't necessarily we want a laissez-faire approach but what can we do what can we do we could tell the tech companies well now you know now you know what the like button did now you know it's causing depression now you know all the things that happen so stop marching down the same path it's time for you to start self-policing it's time to start breaking up some of these companies because it actually serves everybody better if these companies break up. Do you see sell, do you see organizations like that police like are those going to come internally from companies like Facebook cuz if it if Facebook and Apple create their own self-policing organizations, that's just a poisoned water well. They would never do that, yeah. right? So they would never do that. Well, they're probably first of all, they're probably already doing that to some extent. And if you watch some of the Senate hearings with Mark Zuckerberg, that's what they dive into. Some of the most poignant um, facts that they stag out. It's like, hey, you're talking to Google about what's going on in these specific areas, which is above the pay grade of anybody else, right? Like the government has no intervention on it. The people have no intervention. No one knows the information that's flowing around, right? So it's like, if you don't know that they've collected 5,000 data points on you, do you care how much Facebook gives you? Like, it doesn't really matter to you. So now that the customer is becoming more aware, there needs to be change in policy. I just don't know that government intervention is the best set of like, here are new regulations for these companies. I think it's much better to just break them up and have them survive. And by break them up, I don't mean like in a non, like a, do it in a very segmented way. WhatsApp should split off. That was a, that, sh that acquisition should not have been allowed. That gave customer data to three and a half billion other people that Facebook didn't necessarily have on the platform. So it's like, their view of you is probably better than, well, it's definitely better than your view of you. They know more about sure. your consumer habits yeah. than, than anyone, including yourself. And that's a little awkward because that means they can start determining behavior. And that was a huge theme in that social dilemma, right? Like all of these things actually do play in together. So when it comes to who's going to do the policing, I think that the government is going to start it. I think that there will be an antitrust lawsuit that goes all the way through. I think it's, it's going to happen. I think that we're right on the horizon of it because everybody's at home now and we're a lot more on the internet and we're a lot more focused screen time is going up all these things that are keeping our focus on what we're doing and not the commutes that we're used to to work anymore that have gone away right like all the time out that we used to spend from 10 to 12 like all of this stuff is now being focused on one single entity which is connecting to the internet from your house so yeah you're going to be a little bit more stringent about where your data is going to make sure that your life stays in accordance with what's how's it growing so i'm just sitting back and i'm like hmm i guess right now facebook's putting out that they're estimating it will impact 60% of the reach of your normal ads for a small business. So that'll put you out of business because most people don't operate on margins that are greater than 60% of their CAC, right? So if your customer acquisition cost just jumps 50 to 60%, like you won't survive. Yeah, for the gym, and that's, you know, going back to it, the gyms that, you know, and I, I've preached on this. I went the last, fuck, the last seminar I did in Boston was 100% on this. It was the organic marketing funnel, right? And like, you can't lose those gorilla roots. You still have to have that play. I just did a podcast with Isaac for the, the licensing model. I'm having Isaac and Deuce come on each of them once a week. And we're just doing like really deep dives into 
how urban movements done different things, failures, successes, all that, how we'll do it with the license model. And Isaac came on yesterday and just talked about all the gorilla plays that we do and how uh, we average like 60 leads a month, ballpark, and less than a, a fourth of them come from paid ads. Yeah. They all come from the gorilla marketing efforts, which saves me, I don't know, probably $4,000 a month based on what we're paying on those. If I had to, for what I'm paying for the, you know, the, the fifth of those leads, if I had to pay for all of them through Facebook, I, it, it, I couldn't, it'd be, it, it would be ROI positive, but my God, you just look and be like, all right, it's a $10,000, you know, point of sale cash month, but it cost me 8,200 to get like, it just, it'd be one of those things where it just, you know, constantly the machine margin gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But the funny part is, is that these mechanisms are inflated by venture capital and then used by people like us and think that like, like oh yeah, you may get lucky with the Facebook ad, but the truth is that like, it's fairly difficult for a small localized business to really leverage the power of this stuff because it's for global reach, sure. right? Like if I can put out an ad that gets a one set impression and sell something for two cents, I have a sustainable business model, right? No, most people don't have microeconomics like that in your town, right? To convert a charlatan into an urban movement goer is not a cent. It's not an impression. It's seven to nine impressions plus a referral plus two weeks inside, right? Like there's, we know as small business owners that it takes more than just an impression to get that turn. But I think it would surprise small business owners to know that the spend percentage is not different. There was a recent study that was put out that says that venture, cap for venture capital is going after these big companies, right, that have trillion, like their goals are billion dollar valuations, right, a bunch of unicorns. 40 cents on the dollar, 40 cents on the dollar of the investment capital goes to either Google, Facebook, or Amazon for reach. So it's getting flooded right back to the same companies that we're trying to break up because they're, and they're telling us, hey, your business is going to fail if you don't. Well, so it's our fault? No, you guys have to change, right? Like there has to be more transparency in the kind of information you're collecting. You shouldn't know that much about us. And so I think what will happen, to answer your question from earlier about like this, the policing part, I think that there will be government intervention at some extent and we'll break up some companies. So somebody's going to have to fall first. I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody's going to fall first. And then my prediction comes is that Jeff Bezos is always ahead of the game, right? I am a big Jeff Bezos fan. So not necessarily in all his business practices, but just the way that he's so far ahead. He just sees what's coming and is now kind of a part of the creation of it. So it's kind of cool. Um, I think he may do some self-policing. So I can see Amazon splitting off a company internally. I would guess it would be AWS because that's their other huge, huge form of revenue. And in all honesty, I think it'd be bigger than the than the e-commerce side of Amazon because it's the fundamental groundwork of all of the biggest companies that we know and love, yeah. right? Like for everyone at AWS is Amazon's web services, right? Right. Yeah. So these are calculated web services. Think about it like this. Imagine if every component of your gym, the space on the floor, the dumbbells, everything that you had there would, could be charged in cents per use. And they just have that at scale. Sure. So it's like, we have all the servers, we have all the data centers, we have all of these things. We even build in the microprocesses so that you don't have to redo it. You just firing up services and whenever that fires up and does whatever your little application needs to do, and by little, I mean Netflix, right? Like it doesn't really matter. We just take a percentage of the usage of it. So when you have that kind of a spread, Amazon goes down, Netflix goes down. There's actually, there is no different, right? So if Amazon AWS goes down, there is no more Netflix. And that's a multi-billion dollar. So you have multi-billion dollars stacked on top of each other which sort of feels like a bubble. It sort of feels like 2008, right? It sort of feels like what housing did, which is lump a bunch of bad shit and win some good shit, hoping that the good shit outweighs the return on the bad shit. So we think 2021 is going to have some shakeup and some some re, uh, let's call it, 
reorganization of the big players 100%. all that in 2021. Let's go to uh, we talked we talked about for a second. Obviously, Peloton purchases Precore, right? Mm-hmm. And to the micro gym owner list, everyone's so sick and tired of hearing about Peloton, right? So they're sick and tired of hearing about Peloton and Fitness Plus and the digital fitness apocalypse that's coming for the brick and mortar micro gym. <laughs> and but Peloton purchases Precore, it gives them uh, local distribution, manufacturing, better bikes, all that stuff. It, it, it it's a smarter it's a smart play there for them. But at the same time, we're sitting here and we're thinking, you know, the Fast uh, Fast Company article comes out, and that's been a big one. So that article, I was brief talking about that earlier, Fast Company is uh, very loud and clear. They believe that digital is here to stay, and the argument that they used was the arcade analogy, right? Like arcades were a place people used to go. You would enjoy playing with your friends. You would get tokens. You would go and you'd exchange those, you know, after you played games, you get, you know, what are those things, the little tickets? Right. You'd exchange the tickets for a prize. There was reward. There was effort. It was community. You had friends. You would. I remember going there with buddies in grade school, and we'd meet girls at the arcade. Like I remember that. And then the ability for it to go home. And then originally at home, it still wasn't all that great because the community wasn't there. There wasn't sure. community with Sega except for the people with you doing it. Right. And now you can go online, and you know we've seen what's happened with Twitch and just esports and e-gaming and all that. So, with that being said, I think that's probably been the best. I've seen a ton of arguments that the brick and mortar is done. That's probably been one of the most comprehensive articles that made me just go like, nah, that not that they're right, but that it's that's a solid point. It's something to expand your mind to sure, accept. It's a solid point. There was uh there was one other point to it I can't recall off the top of my head, but I I am so uh concerned for the average micro gym owner not the ones that are like not paying attention to this because they're I believe they're gonna die off. But for the average ones that still don't understand the connection between personal Maslow's, you know, you know, being a part of a group and convenience. Just kind of like when I ask someone, what's the number one, what's the number one reason anyone comes to your gym? And if they don't answer with proximity, proximity, right? Yeah, I just like you don't get it. You haven't been around long you enough. Ha- you just that's it. So it's normally like that, right? Yeah. Like the people that they're comparing themselves to have also been around for one and two and five sure. years, and it's like, okay, I see what you mean. Someone just got introduced to CrossFit. Your CrossFit gym is a little bit better than the CrossFit gym next to you, and you think you're gonna lose them. It's not because of that, right? It's like even when I joined your CrossFit gym, it was six minutes a walk from my house. And the second it was 15 minutes, I went to a gym that was closer to me. And it wasn't necessarily 100% because of that, but it definitely played a, a yeah. significant factor. If I just moved there, I probably would have went there first. And I, but I like it's that inability. What makes a business owner not, it's not even that they're blinded, but like it's almost like, like they're so, they can't zoom out or they don't ever take their own consumer behaviors into account and i i think of it for myself like i've got uh, you'll, you'll have a gym owner a business owner complain about the actions of a customer and i literally give it a, just give it a small break a five minute break in the phone call i will literally bait them and i will ask right. them about another service that they utilize or a place they've gone a hotel they've stayed in and they will literally respond with the exact same behavior that they personally exhibited in the same way that customer did. And then I'll, I'll, I'll be like, Wait, do you just, or like, ah, oh, you got me. I'm like, no, no, I didn't get you. That's how you act as a kid. That's how consumers right. act. Why don't you see this? And I think, so I think there's, uh, I don't know if that was a question. I felt rhetorical, but I'm going to answer it. Um, I kind of feel like this is one of the huge, like the huge problems with surveys. And we've talked a ton about surveys during our work together. 
And I'm very hot and cold about them. I don't think that they're for everybody. And I'm very hesitant to how people use surveys. I think they could be very, very beneficial in ways of very basic questions of the choice not having any relative composition. Meaning like, do you like a dumbbell or a kettlebell? That's a pretty specific question. Right. So like I think that you can actually get some valuable data out of asking a smaller subset, like less than 10,000 people. Right. Some not necessarily statistically relevant and yet still get some decent feedback from it. When someone asks, why do you like my gym? Oh, come on. Like here's here's the I'm going to tell you why that's such a bad question without even going into all of the nuances of the fact that you're not giving them any structure. They have no way to pick. There's no way to aggregate that data once it comes back. People don't know why they like things. And I think we just need to sit with that a little bit, right? Like it's no different than you going up to a, a buddy of yours who's dating this girl who you know is rebounding. He just broke up with a girl of his dreams. He's dating this other girl who's just the opposite of her. And you, and you know it's not going to last. And deep down, he knows it's not going to last. But when her friends come over and they're like, oh, so what, what got you excited about Jill? You say, oh, well, she's got the best personality of any girl I've ever met. <laughs> So now five people think that you're dating her for your personality, but the truth is you just wanted someone to kiss in the five weeks in between now and when you went home for Thanksgiving. So it's like, yeah, you're right, but now you have consumer just lying about why they're doing it. Some people not taking the time to actually sit back and decide why they like something. That requires a level of self-awareness and introspection, right? Like if I asked you right now, you're wearing a green zip-up, what decision process, can you show me the decision process for you to grab that? You're going to tell me it was in my fucking closet, I saw it above my pants and I put it on. But the truth is there's actually probably a lot more nuance to that decision that you're not even recognizing. Sure. The weather actually impacted it, how you felt that day. Colors actually give you different emotions, so right? We're there's all, so much to we're it. We're so full of shit. Right. We are so full of shit. Especially about ourselves. And 100%. that's what I think that a lot of entrepreneurs could do better at. It's like, hey, spend some time with yourself trying to figure out why you do things. Because at some level, every bit of marketing and every bit of growth strategy has an element that it may or may not work. If you had it 100%, it works 100% of the time, you're, you're going to be a millionaire very quick. But the truth is there always has to be some assumptions made. Well, rather than starting literally from scratch, meaning like you're guessing or basing it off a survey, how about you turn in on yourself and say, well, why do I buy things? Why did I join gyms my whole life? Why did I? And I'm not saying that that's the answer to all your customers. I'm saying it's going to give you at least a theme to look for and why people would decide to use your service or business or whatever it is. I think it's uh, Mark uh, Mans Manson. He did the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. I, there needs, and maybe it's already, I'm sure it's already out there. There's got to be a book, a manual on on realizing you're full of shit and embracing that. Because that's like when you see really good accounts, brands, personalities, people that are you're drawn to. They're generally what we call, they're, they're raw, they're real. And, it, and exactly that consumer lying to themselves behavior. So I went uh, and I went to Smile Direct Club down here in Charlotte. And I spent whatever, it was two, some, two grand or so. And I now have these aligners that I wear in my mouth at night for 10 hours to straighten my teeth. And the justification... I was asked, I, I don't know, it was a friend or maybe my mom when I was back home asked me, why'd you do it? I was like, well, I got this one tooth that's gotten, gotten crooked and I, like at night I grind it and I get this like cold canker sore in there and it hurts. So I don't really care about my teeth. Like it's, I'm, I'm not vain like that. I don't care. I just don't want this cold sore thing anymore. So I'm going to get these to straighten them. When in reality, if I really sit and sift through the bullshit and sit with yourself, like, 
no, dude, you, you just want your teeth to be straight because you look at yourself in 4K fucking footage all the time on video and you want to look good. Like, that's it. You're, you know, maybe you're self-conscious that you turn 35, blah, 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 blah. Like, if we really take a second and sit with our own bullshit for a second and if you have, like, I like to call out bullshit and I like to call it out on myself too, but there are times, even myself, I feel myself walking down this bullshit lane and I know I'm there. But if I just pause for a second, like, all right, what would like stew, like stew number two, if you walked in this room, he'd be like, you fucking pussy. You put those goddamn plastic pussy ass braces in your mouth because you want to have fucking have a nice fucking smile. Just fucking say it. It'll make you feel so much better. And there's a, so there's a level of transparency. First of all, this is the most exciting conversation I think we're about to have. I'm <laughs> about to go off on this because this is literally what I'm going to start this new podcast about. And so it's 2021, it's January. This is usually the time when I make a bunch of um, flagrant claims about how much content I'm going to produce this year. So I figured I don't want to make it any different. I got my this watch year. set to it. Um, so, <laughs> so hopefully, maybe I'm a little early this year. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll quit sooner. Um, new podcast, not advice, just perspective. And I'm using it as a personal podcast rather than launching it under the actual Flex brand because I want to be able to talk about topics that are outside of tech and fitness, but I'm sure that's going to be a, you know, a large majority of what I talk about over there. And it's all about just defining other perspectives so that you can have a more holistic view of the people that you're dealing with and hopefully yourself too. So this really comes off the concept of what we were just talking about, which is sitting in your own bullshit because I really want to go out there and I think this is a great thing to talk about right after 2020. I got so sick of seeing posts about like, God, I can't wait till 2020's over. All right, next year's got this. Let's put this behind us. Can we blink and it be the next year? And all of this stuff. And I'm like, I get that there's some bit of comedy relief to this and that there's like we're memeing and we're just trying to get likes. But there's also the sentiment that like that amount of like repetitive messaging does affect people, right? To look at 2020 as a year that was terrible and we should never think about it. When really, if we want to look back at 2020, we'd probably find more alone time than we've ever spent with ourselves to deal with some of the things that we never liked, right? When you just sat there in your own shit and been like, wow, I actually only work about an hour and a half a day. Oh, how many people just like, ooh, he's talking to me. Yeah, I know, because I worked remotely for my entire career. And it's literally part of the arc. It's part of the arc of working from home. There's this concept of like, I work eight hours a day because I drive to work at nine and I drive back home at 530. And, and it's physically like, in a building. And I'm physically yeah. in a building. But the truth is you're walking around to water. You're taking breaks. You're on Facebook. You're calling your friends. You're taking calls that you don't really need to. You're jumping in on meetings that just wasted your time because it got you through the day and it got you to push that deadline that they were hoping would be Friday and is now Monday. Because the truth is we're not working for eight hours a day. And that was never the intention. Right, But now we don't have a commute. We don't have those extra four hours of bullshit while we're talking to people around us. And guess what? You're just left with you. Some people left with you and your wife, you your kids, you and your best friends, like all of these different things. But there's so much more time to look inward. And that's when you start to see all – I mean some of the stuff that came out in 2020 I think is a lot of social reprieve. It's like it's us digging out some of these things that were uncomfortable and nobody wanting to be uncomfortable. And be like, ooh, ooh, let's go to the next thing. There's it's not more babies or divorces in 2020. Ooh, good question. More babies or more divorces? I would say yes. <laughs> right? Because uh, so getting I'd say I'd say divorces cuz even babies you're just like, uh, I just lost my job and my wife's pay got cut by 35%. We cannot be having another baby. Yeah, you just imagined that 80% of the service industry didn't just get laid off and they're all just absolutely having sex like bunny rabbits right that's, now. That's true. That's, the service <laughs> industry is probably skewing that answer. Um, but I do think that there's like this there's this overarching thing that I I feel like is what separates me as an entrepreneur. I'm not saying that it will make me a sex successful one day. I'm saying that it allows me to stay 
relevant and agile as I grow as a small business because I'm okay being uncomfortable. Because sometimes you just gotta be uncomfortable. So to loop this back to your question about like sitting in your own shit, if you're sitting here right now in January, 2021, and you own a business in fitness, and you think that at least at not, at least some part of the market will be digital, bigger than it has ever had, when after a year that we saw at-home fitness go up 80%, I, I, it won't stay at 80, but it's not going away. So why not learn something that then gives you a set of skills to take wherever you end up? Because most of us won't succeed past the two and three and four year mark. So where are you gonna go with your skills? If your skills were, I can change my logo six times in three years because that'll get more people in my gym, it's, it, you're not gonna be able to do anything when you get to the new business. If you now know how to distribute online, set up paywalls, learn the services that businesses have been using in digital forever, take advantage of some of the new apps that are being built specifically for the use case of your gym and, and adding an extra amenity, I'm still hardcore on my belief that I had back in March, which I remember talking to you about at first. I said, I don't think that this is the end of brick and mortar fitness. I do think that I can see a time at the end of 2021 where when people are starting to go back into brick and mortar facilities, one of their first questions is, what do you have for me at home? Sure. What do you have when I'm not here? It, the thing that blows me away is so many, especially in the CrossFit realm, that, that is such a group of early adopters who saw the old model break, or they believe the old model was breaking. The old model of go to a gym, pay 10 to $40 a month, and walk around aimlessly by yourself, maybe hire a personal trainer, the global gym model. And they believe so strongly in this, this disruptor. That's what CrossFit did. It completely disrupted the fitness industry, and it took away the large-scale footprint global gym model, and it took it to the micro gym model. And my thing is you believed in that. Like You believed enough of it that you started a business. And early on, like the early adopters, we're talking pre-2015, and you you did that, but you don't believe that in 2020 or 2021, none of your service, none of your service besides registering for the class is going to exist on the phone? You right. don't believe any of it? Well, the, and the thing is, I think that it becomes a very short-term solution, right? So I think that there's a lot of people that like to view their businesses like, well, yeah, but you're missing the boat because all these people are going to come back to gyms too. And so many of my competitors close. This is what I hear. On a, I'm sure you hear very similar things. It's like, well, yeah, the three CrossFit gyms that are in my town closed or the three Barry, like the, the Orange Theory had to close their door. F45 is not it. So I think I have a chance again. And I'm like, yeah, you're solving today's problem. Cool. Here's what's happening right now. 100 million 15-year-olds don't go to gyms anymore. And their first step is online fitness. And you become an extension of online fitness rather than the thing that got them interested and have to excel them. So when you go back to your model of there's only two people in fitness, you're going to have to shift to who your customer is 10 years from now if you still want your but business to survive. Correct. And that's uh, that right there is, I think, the key thing is everyone is thinking, again, It's a ch they're playing chess, not checkers. Um and it's 100% that. It's like, think of someone who is 17, right? And in five years, six years, they are definitely going to be near your probably demographic in your pool. Where are they coming from? They're coming from a Twitch world. They're coming from this online esports world. They're like, and that lack, and I generally see it in the old heads, which in my head, in five years, they're probably not going to be relevant anymore anyway. And it just, it's a self-fulfilling thing sure. that will shed the old skin. But I, I yeah, I'm, I'm really... It really concerns me, though, that that level of not being able to see that. And when I hear someone, and, and sometimes I get on a call, and it might be a you know someone who wants to be a client or whatever it may be, and when I instantly hear that, that inability to either see through your own bullshit or even to recognize 
characteristics and traits like or to want to sure or to like recognize it and not just push it away because you don't want to think it's that don't want to push away the fact that you just want nicer teeth for your videos and instead just embrace the more rational idea that's like oh well i don't believe in that you know what the number one thing right now in cooking is there are uh so like online programming we talked about this last time there are the the very successful uh dave lipson thunder bros paragon trading method street parking all these companies uh chalk that are just selling workouts they're selling workouts to autonomous people. Why are there more autonomous fitnessers now than ever? Because there's more education out there. Because there were right. these little. I, I looked at CrossFits. Same reason like, you can have a CrossFit gym. Correct. Well, I look at CrossFits as like they were little education centers. I mean, do you know what percentage of CrossFit members went and took a certification with no intent of ever? I don't actually. It's That's interesting. I, I don't know. Is the it number. a lot? I, I believe it's a ton. Look, yeah. there's no way you could have ten certs with sixty people a cert every weekend for. 15 plus years there's not that many gyms right so that's got to be it's a ton of consumers looking to educate themselves but crossfit created all these little uh, educational centers where people learn more they started following more instagram social media pops up now coaches and trainers can tell more they can share more because they're developing their brand and now you have a very educated fitness community that creates more autonomous fitnessers, people who don't want to go to the class necessarily and have you coach them through for the social aspect because they're high performers, they're busy, they're lone wolves, they're whatever. They want something very specific, and they just want to go and do the workout. Home gym, YMCA, open gym model, whatever the fuck it may be. And I look at that, and I looked at that also. We uh, Right before the pandemic, I interviewed a local guy here. He's a chef, all right, uh, cooking with Cordell, all right? Good kid, awesome guy. And his number one thing, I talked to him recently, people are now paying him not for Zoom cooking classes, like that's how he started the pandemic. Customized recipes. Right. He. This is what you buy at the grocery store. This is how you make it. It's a customized recipe because there is a there is a, a a large population of people during the pandemic that got really good with cooking. That was a, a hobby they took up, and now that now they're autonomous with their cooking. They're going out to eat. It's just like eh. Maybe every now and then, but I can do this myself, and I, right. I, I see the parallels of those industries, and and maybe it's because I I like to fuck around and talk to guys in the others industry and draw these parallels, but it truly does concern me when an entrepreneur, you know, what some people would call it, like a natural entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, and you don't see this yourself, that'd be like, I don't know, it's like a quarterback who can't read, who like look is at the line and can't read the defense, like a very obvious defense. But on the same token, and I, I shouldn't jump into the football realm <laughs> but on that same token does that person still have an opportunity as a high school quarterback right like can they still make it to some level of success and see it as a starting quarterback in a smaller school so I think that you get these people who kind of inflate this idea of being an entrepreneur but lack what I think is like one of the biggest components which is curiosity and, uh, and it's funny because um so I recorded the first episode of my podcast so this one might actually happen um and it's, it's like a hitting record is the hardest button to hit Joe. The second hardest button is the upload. upload. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that's next week. Um, but the episode touches on imposter syndrome and I have a slightly different take on it now. And just for those who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's basically this concept that like you're kind of playing in a realm you don't really understand and you're faking it to everybody. So everybody else looks at you like you're the head of the people best business instantly in the world. feel this the second they go live or they talk about it on social and it's open to comments because you always think, well, there's someone that's way smarter than me in this and they yeah. show up in my comments and shred my argument. Same thing. With, so like me, I'm a non-classically trained developer. So I've always been like nervous about responding to like people's questions online or like contributing to open source code because I don't have the traditional background. I'm so afraid of someone coming in and being like, this is not how you code, right? Because you don't know that you're right until someone points it out. Um, however, 
while that can definitely be something that holds you back, I was starting to think about it and I'm like, I think a little bit of imposter syndrome is what lets me know that I didn't stop being curious, right? Like it means that I'm still trying to play in areas that I probably shouldn't be. I'm doing that, that with I'm, license model that's, right now. But that's what I mean. I, and I think that the the level of transparency that you give is so beneficial to entrepreneurs, right? Like, because you're saying, I, I, I've never ran a license, I but I have a lot, I have a high business acumen. I'm not gonna give up. I'm very resilient and I'm not afraid of work. And if you if you put those these five tools together, you're able to run a business that maybe isn't exactly what you thought it was going to be because you don't know yet. Nobody. So that yet. guy didn't start Zoom classes because he knew that people were going to right. Like so, while yeah, it definitely helps to be able to spot that trend. He did the thing that you're not doing, which is starting. Sure. He did something. Do something in digital fitness to know what. Because this is my and this is my favorite argument just from studio. I get this all the time. I don't have enough videos. Right, like, uh, how can I possibly compete? Fitness Plus has it. First of all, Fitness Plus launched with twenty-eight videos. Let's just can I put that out there for strength? I went on because I was like, I have to know. I'd spend ten bucks, right? They have twenty-eight strength videos. Apple Fitness Plus. Let me repeat, has twenty-eight fitness videos and strength. I'm sure they have more now, right? By the time this comes out, but the thought is that stop using that as an excuse because P90X was a multi-million-dollar brand and it got bought out by Beachbody, and they had twelve videos. 12, 12 recorded on separate DVDs and they sent to you and told you when to do them. And people did it for 90 days. That's three months on 12 videos. And you're telling me that you can't produce that? Yes, you can. You could produce that in a week. In a week. Maybe that week that you were jerking off. Oh, man, I hate saying things like that. You hate saying jerking off? I don't like saying stuff like that on, on podcasts. I'm trying to get away from it on mine. So. Um, <laughs> so you're at home jerking off between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> That's for the edit. You're at home that whole... How about you spend... Two hours one day filming yourself. I've been filming myself privately every single night on my iPhone with voice to try to get over my like feelings of seeing myself on camera. Every single night. I've been doing this for months and I'm still not over it, right? I'm still not there. Okay, well, that, now I just know that there's a barrier in front of me that I have to work through. It's not, I'm not going to try online. That's like me coming out and saying, video doesn't work. <laughs> what? No, you can't say that. Digital fitness does work. A company just bought Precore. You know, the people that produce all of the equipment in all of your biggest competitors were just bought out by a digital fitness company, and you're going to tell me that that's not the future? Come on. Let's just be realistic about it. That's you're, all. Yeah, your two biggest competitors, the guys that put in the equipment <laughs> right. in the Globo gyms and the guys that do all the at-home fitness literally just Megatroned. Right. Like all the engineers who just produced some of the best fitness equipment for the last decade has just paired up with a company that has more developers than Amazon. Good luck. Right? It, of course you have a chance. Why? For the same reason that you have a chance against Gold's Gym. Because if you think on paper – you're going to tell me community, right? You're going to tell me that there's a special thing that goes on in these gyms that's outside. And I'm going to tell you that's true. What I'm not going to admit is that it's worth $150 extra a month with 1,400 less locations. That's going to be tough to, to convince me of. Why does your one standalone 3,500 square foot facility demand four times as much as a facility that I can go get a spa treatment and see 70 girls that I would never have the chance to talk to, right? It's like, it's because you're trying to meet people where they're at. But their fitness journey isn't this journey of them trying to become a better athlete. It's them trying to survive life. And that's what I thought CrossFit brought to a lot of people. It brought a sense of fitness that felt competitive enough for an athlete to be involved with, but enjoyable enough to bring along someone who doesn't know anything about athletics. And I felt like you merged a new community, and now merging those new communities is actually what CrossFit did. CrossFit was a, a really – it was a uh, 
it was a car that went faster than all the other cars and it looked you know it was more fun to ride it, was, it just got too fast the engines got too big it just started going too fucking fast i've got uh so i'm doing marcus philly i'm working on um dave lipson you know thunder bros have you ever seen like his take on it so i i've, I've i remember dave lipson i haven't yeah, seen any of this. he just uh, he him and Kalipa. Kalipa just interviewed him, so I text Kalipa and said, "Hey, I, I need an introduction. I want to have him on, so on and so forth." But going back to that, uh, to speak of Jason and um, license models, uh, I'll be talking with him about his. But I mean, I I brought on Jim, you know, to help me with the consulting for the Urban Movement license um, because I don't know what I'm doing. I know what I did with my n equals my, my one of one. Right. I don't know the scale. I, that's why you talk to a guy like Jim Crowell who scaled to 70, 80 licenses in a four or five year period. That's why I'll get on the phone with Jason who went from zero to 80 licenses in a, uh, what did, what he did in like a two month period. Right. Right. Um, but that's the thing too, is a real, like, I, I think curiosity, I think that was a really good characteristic. I've never really put, a lot of weight on curiosity from an entrepreneur's perspective, but I will now. I really like the way you frame that up. And I'm really curious. The Cosmopolitan article. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. All right. So we're back on, uh, wait a little uh, tech issue, but now we're back. We're talking about the Cosmo- Cosmopolitan article. You have not seen this. So they did uh, a spread on the cover um, that with a bunch of obese women, I think they chronicled like eight or 11 different women, um, that were obese and the title said this is healthy now the backlash on this is from individuals saying that obesity is not healthy however obese people can be pursuing healthy things so there should be obese models there should be obese uh you know people in film and like that shouldn't be something that is shamed against but in a world where and i agree with this smokers have to smoke in an alley around the corner behind a building, but we're going to celebrate obesity, especially in a 2020 world, a 20 post 2020 world where that was uh, COVID like to eat fat people more than anybody fat and sick people and COVID munched on your fucking until you died. So it was this huge thing. So you have these, you know, and it just comes from this. I, and I don't get political, but this very like leftist kind of scenario, like, well, just, you know, the left, if you say that obesity isn't healthy, then that means you're saying you hate fat people or you're fat shaming. I like, and the fitness industry went insane with it. And they essentially were saying, no, I, we support anyone who's obese that is working to be healthy, but to show a show that these women are all healthy, that that is health is the exact antithesis of what health is. Nobody is born obese. Now, you may be born genetically uh, more endomorphic, right, which would be the, the the technical term of your somatype for being bigger bone and retaining body fat more and, and, and things like that. But b- behavior is what makes obese people. Behavior, socialization, things like that. And it was this – it just – it was really it – was, it was the first time I had seen people in the fitness influencing space have to say things that – individuals could then grab and pull into the Venn diagram of fat. You're fat shaming. You're not being supportive. Would that woman's not healthy? Like, well, no, technically not. She's not healthy. She may be working her way to health. Fat obese people can do healthy things and work towards health, but being obese cannot be seen as healthy. So I think that, so my, my check on this is always that 
we as a culture love to label more than almost any other culture in the world as Americans, where it's just like it makes it easier for us to exist as humans when we could just throw broad labels on things. And and I've been like, for some reason, I've just been on this like super neuroscience kick recently and um, trying to understand why that is. Like why is it? And it's mostly because like your brain is meant to be operating efficiently. So it just tries to find repeated patterns. So anytime it can recognize something, it's easier to classify and remember in your head if you just lump it in with something that you already understand. So when someone writing an article with no background in fitness, I don't know that they were, right? But someone writing an article with no background in fitness portraying an image like that may have a take on why that exists. But they're not being compensated on changing people's perspective. They're being compensated on clicks. And now you have two different intentions, right? You have a fitness professional whose intention is getting you healthy, and you have an article writer whose intention is clicks. And there can be some, I always look at it as like the, yeah, but also, right? Where it's like, yeah, but also, and I think that in health, it's, I should say, or more specifically fitness, there's a huge mask over what are the actual benefits of fitness because most of us just know fitness as the thing that keeps us skinny or not. And so as a direct rebuttal to that argument that like fitness can only be for people that are already in some sort of shape or that there has to be a link between the aesthetic and the fitness that the person, great, awesome angle. The idea that we should be promoting a body type that normally is not sustainable in a healthy lifestyle, that that seems counterintuitive, but we don't know what the premise of the article was. So it's so easy to just be like, ooh, that was stupid or that was right. And no one's wrong. No one's really wrong, but no one's 100% right either. So I'm just like, how do we get the narrative to be pushed away from it's all about the aesthetic? Just because it's the one thing that we can tangibly see, right? So like I joked the other day on a podcast that I was like, I always look at people that tell me they don't do fitness is I'm like, do you shower? Oh, you shower because you want the outside of your body to be clean. Well, fitness cleans the inside of it and not just your organs and and the physiological aspects, but your mental, like there are, and this is not a guess. This there are study. This is proven. In fact, a lot of the incubators that I looked into for my startups was like, they actually had physical as a component of the program. Like you have to work out for 15 to 20 minutes a day. Like, so even at that level of cerebral thought, they understand that there's impacts of fitness. So how do we get the messaging to not just be the debate over how big or how small does someone that does fitness look and have to be like, how well-rounded is this person? How does this person have a lifestyle that actually accommodates the fitness routine that allows them to live and then expand upon that if they want to? I think CrossFit really crunch that somewhat in a bad way because crossfit is a fitness program where the metric is performance you little like it was literally uh you can have a conversation and a gym owner will brag about a client who has a better fran time or pr their 2k row now you can do those things and still not aesthetically look great because i can walk into any crossfit gym in the country world and i can say show me your longest clients here and there will still be, even the longest ones, there will still be people that aesthetically, if you told me they worked out for you for nine years, that would be a bad thing. I remember back in the day, this was a real marketing thought process. As personal trainers, you would fire your clients that didn't lose weight and adhere to your nutrition and all this other stuff because you didn't want the marketing going around that person saying they worked with you. Right. We don't think about that anymore because one in three of us is clinically obese. It's like 34% now or whatever in the United States. Also because you can't have control of it anymore with social media. 100%. Right? And so you're not you're not able to loop that in anymore, but that was that severe. They literally, I mean, I remember having these discussions with trainers at the Global Gyms. Like, we've got to fire these four people if they don't really start making progress. 
because they're walking around the gym and saying they're training in this personal training department and it's fucking killing us. Right. right? Uh, they're going to go start working out with somebody else on there because they like, well, all you guys do is make the fatter people slightly less fat. Right. But still, they're still fat. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's, I believe the conversation being fat, everyone's fat, just some people are over fat. And there's a certain point of being over fat where there's really nothing like the dad bod. We're talking, the dad bod is being, you know, you were saying the, the thicker girl, like making that aesthetic an appealing thing now, again, is more bringing, there is, they're Lizzo, right? Lizzo is, you know, n- number one uh, up and coming, art, you know, artist the, two years ago, whatever it is, killing it, whatever. And she embodies the big girl, right? She Now she's kind of backed herself into that corner. If you were to look at that from like a branding standpoint kind of thing, she is now this. Well, yeah. And then she comes out. It was recent, right? That she came out with something where she did like a cleanse or something like that and dropped some weight and put it up online and got absolutely hate. destroyed. Yeah, like you're, like you're supposed to love yourself and not, you know, not chase that you know chase that uh self-improvement aspect you should that's who you are live it's kind of the dad bod thing right this idea that popped up you know two three years ago and i thought it was just like a southern thing i thought it was just these southern kids that went to usc and clemson who were just like lazy and wanted to wear their chubby shorts and their frat boys who aren't even in a frat yeah and they're just like they're just like ah i just want to be able to drink a 12 pack of you know white claws every weekend and fucking you know but that was a legit movement, the dad bod, to it's okay for dads to be out of shape and have a beer gut. And it, it, it is. However, it's also it's not a pinnacle. It's not like an achievement status. It's not a metric of health or a, a symbol of health. And it well, shouldn't be associated with it. But I think that you just brought up the, the quintessential argument of all things, which is how do you define that this is the metric? What is the metric of someone that's fit? There's sure. no single metric. There can't be because no. we know that it's some combination, at least at this point. I'm fairly confident that it's some combination of physical activity, the nutrition, what you put in your body, and your recovery, right? Like those three things together somehow accommodate what your fitness is. To come up with a single stat to represent that is fairly difficult. And I think the harder part is what works in marketing. And like Gary Vaynerchuk goes, marketers ruin everything, right? Like we have the chance to advertise to your deepest, darkest secrets. I mean, if, and this was said to me the other day, and it had like a profound impact, and I think it's going to really change the way I build out some of the functionality in studio. Someone said that, you know what's so hard about doing um, accountability exercises with like a small, like an expanding group of people to like, hey, we all did fitness, and we're all like, we're having like a little shit talking, like a sober October that Joe Rogan and them do, where it's like there's some sort of fitness objective. Aren't but you really doing that right now? Yeah. You're I doing am. sober January? Right. And How's that going? It's not even sober. It's really, for me, it was like getting back into fitness. I was just, I really lost my touch with it. And I'm like at the worst body comp I've ever felt. Did you felt. work out today? Yeah. Work out every day. Nice. So, Are you working I, out here? Yep. So I always do at least a 20 to 30 minute row or bike in the back. So at least I know I got my baseline in. And then normally if I have some extra time, I'll add in some sort of strength component. At this point, it's just about making 20 to 30 minutes a day have to happen. And then kind of figure it out from there. But when I look at like, okay, so... What were we just talking about? Because you just totally broke. I, I totally, I know. I was so, I was super interested. You're so. You were talking about rogue. Uh, oh yeah, the accountability. Yes. So like, what makes this so difficult? Well, it's and what was brought up is like the shit talking that goes on because that's normally how guys keep each other accountable. We say like, oh yeah, you're getting fat, like it, and and that kind of stuff. It hurts you, but it's not as superficial. We shouldn't really care about it. That buzz or a thing. All these things, and it sometimes can motivate people. I don't doubt that that's definitely a motivator. The problem is how closely we hold how we look to fitness such that if I'm feeling bad that day and you decide to make a comment about my weight, 
you could deter me off of like it could change my whole could course. Not even just fitness. You. Yeah, like I could start overeating. This is what like leads to depression. Like we're, because there's so much wrapped up in our own ego and self image around fitness, whether or not we participate in it. That when someone comes in from the outside and says something like, "Well, six packs an indicator, and this is an indicator," and no, wait, you could be obese. You're, there's so much disparate information that you're just like, I'll take the lowest common denominator. Dad bod looks good. And, and then, that's why I think dad bods took off because it's like, it, I don't necessarily think it promoted this alcoholic lifestyle, although I think Barstool took it there. I think that ultimately came out with like, hey, you don't have to be this pinnacle. of You don't have to have 16 abs to be considered good looking. And So they were almost trying to decouple the fact that good looking had to do with some sort of aesthetic, which is an interesting component because it actually has nothing to do with fitness sure, at all. I, and that's what I think I was going with is CrossFit put the emphasis on performance to where you could have somebody that with a shirt off. In the box. Correct, in the box. And that that's where that person could flex on it because I, I literally, we had members that would, that would be the flex. I, we would go and rent a boat and go to Lake Norman and we'd go out there and some of my clients would not look great with their shirt off. Like you wouldn't know that they work out seven days, six days right. a week or whatever the fuck it is. And their response would be, yeah, but I bet you we can't do grace in under three minutes. Yeah. And so they would, they would tie the flex to this performance metric when really, I think if we, again, to wrap this back, if we pulled away that bullshit, they desperately inside would be like, I really would also like, yeah, I love being competitive in the gym, but the second I leave the gym, drive home, go and take a shower and I look in the mirror, I, I get angry at myself. And I was like, oh, well, that body of mine, the body I want will come when I get a two minute Fran. That's my it. Three, and, yeah. and they chase that. You start to attribute some sort of outcome and to th- some sort of metric that's like, oh, I can do this faster or this but better. But that's why I think like our tempo training, uh, what Chalk and Ryan Fisher does was interval weight training, Marcus Philly and functional bodybuilding, David Lipson and Thunder Bros. These, there's a ton of different programs out there now that are post-cross, what I consider like CrossFit 2.0, and not that they are CrossFit, but they come from the same, cut from the same cloth. They have the audience, they have the ear of the audience, and saying, "Listen, aesthetics and hypertrophy and bodybuilding, what you were trained to hate, hate as a CrossFitter, talk shit on bodybuilders." I mean, you know, like just go to YouTube and do uh, CrossFitter verse, verse yeah. boom, and bodybuilder <laughs> pops in there every single time. There's fucking thousands of these videos. It, they were, you know, it was us versus them. But there is an aesthetic component to fitness as well. And do I believe that everyone who has a six pack is healthy? No. Just like I can every, attest to that. Yeah. Just like every yeah, you you're a perfect example of that. You are a true fucking mesomorph through and fucking through. Um, but you eat fucking sleeves of Oreos. Right. right? Um, not during sober January. Right. Are you actually eating better during sober January? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good for you, buddy. Well, so I cut it out. I didn't replace it with anything. So I'm down to like 800 calories a day. <laughs> You're on that Allie McBeal diet. <laughs> right. But just like being overweight, you know, you could test pot. You could be obese and have solid positive markers from a blood panel going to see your doctor. But what you see in the mirrors and right there, it is, it's a self-image and your body image and how fitness ties into it and what you put value on in the world of social media and all that just that is such an expensive mind game that the ones that do really well have enough personal cash to play with, which is self-esteem. They have enough – the ones that do really well have enough self-esteem that if they have a bad lifting day, it doesn't matter. If they gain a little bit of weight, whatever. If they look at a picture of themselves from the pool, and even though they know they're in good shape, but from that angle when the light hit it and there was a shadow and it made it look like they had a roll of fat right here, 
they can exist beyond it and they can walk past that. That's where I think, honestly, there's a lot more conversation to be had around managing the power of fitness and what it does to your psyche as to what you should look like, what your mate should look like, what this work in the gym should create. There's a huge disconnect too. Like I go to the gym three days a week. I've been doing that for six months. I should look like X. That's it, right? So, and that's what I'm trying. like, so when I think of like the true initiatives behind a company that hopefully will exist for five and 10 years, like what, what is my bigger opportunity here with studio other than just the distribution of digital fitness? It starts to shift a mindset not away from aesthetic, not to think that aesthetic doesn't matter, but that it's a subset of a subset of what actual fitness and activity does for you. Thinking that like, man, if my 78 year old dad was just working out 22 minutes a day, just exercising, just walking around the block for 22 minutes, it dramatically changes his daily routine and it makes him feel better and he's thinking clearer and he sleeps better and he starts to eat a little bit differently. So like we know, at least when I started CrossFit, that uh, my diet immediately came into scope because I was eating like crap and, and I was able to get away with it because I was used to baseball where I was burning probably three or 4,000 calories a day, morning workout, three hour practice, evening workout, right? Like that's, that's a lot of calories that I'm burning. So it didn't matter what I was consuming at that age. And once I got into CrossFit, I was like, if I eat this cheeseburger right now, I'm going to have a crappy workout. And it actually matters more to me that I have a good workout because I'm in an atmosphere with a bunch of other athletes and this is how we rank ourselves. This is how pecking order works. I'm not going to try to fight human evolution. Like, this is what happens. We all go into some place where we're all kind of competitive, the difference being that at the end we all shake hands sure. rather than all laugh at each other and try to beat each other up the next day. But it, I, I think the common denominator there is it's got to be fun. I think fitness needs to become a hobby. And again, I, I feel like I've been picking on CrossFit this whole time, but I feel CrossFit turned it into a job. You would look at the workout for the day that you're okay. I gotta go, gotta go to the gym. I gotta get this. Oh, these aren't good movements for me. It's like looking at your your meeting schedule for the day and seeing you have two board meetings with people you don't like that whatever. But you right. gotta go and you gotta perform, and it's gotta be fun. And I think that's what like a, like I think of what I do now. I started to not look forward to getting like to just crushing myself in workouts. And now like I generally I work out now more than I did when I was doing you know I was doing when I was doing a ton of CrossFit, I did it out of almost obligation. You're the owner of the gym. You need to be fit, blah, blah. And now what I do now with like the tempo training, I generally look forward to it and I, I enjoy it. And that's what hobbies are. Like I like flying my drone. I like electric motorcycles. I, right. I'm into this stuff. And those are hobbies of mine. I personally enjoy them. And if we can make sure just fitness stays at the very, the most important thing, stays enjoyable so that you actually want to go and tackle it versus you know, you see this in bodybuilding, those, I mean, huge self, you know, huge body dysmorphia, huge, because it becomes a job and cutting calories and not going to your parents' house for Thanksgiving because they won't serve low carb meat options and all this other right. crazy shit. And CrossFit, you know, people hating themselves because they did in PR, but the girl on Instagram in North Dakota did. Right. Right. And it just, it, it just has to stay fun. And when it doesn't stay fun, whether you're, you have a six pack or you have fucking, you know, 60 pounds of fat to lose. Whatever you're doing, that fun. It is a. It's taking you down a path that is ultimately just. It's a. It's a. Uh, it's a very bad place to be in mentally, physically, socially. Yeah, and I think, and to kind of double down on what you just said, and to bring in something that you brought to my attention years ago, which was like, you created Urban Movement originally. Like the the concept was that this is your second home, right? Like you go to work, and then this is the place you go to finish what you were just doing, get in that part of routine, and then go home. And I think what that yelled, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like the way I took that in and the way I've kind of applied it to what I try to do now is like start to accept that fitness 
does, shouldn't have to be your customer's priority, sure, yeah, yeah. top priority. And if you could, right, because you as a trainer, and I've seen, I, I think they're some of the most passionate people I've ever met, right? Because they, because they know they can actually change your life. And that's like a, right? Like if I clean gutters and I'm the best gutter cleaner in the world, I, I may be able to change your house, but I can't change your life. Like it's not going to have such a broad impact. But I think, you know, you go get a certification in CrossFit, you spend a thousand bucks, you go get a certification and NASF, whatever it is. And you come out and you're like, I can actually impact somebody's life. I can actually, if they listen to me for a few months, I could change the trajectory of how happy they are in life. And I feel like that's a lot. Oh, man, I can't wait to share this with everybody. But you get so wrapped up with it that you try to make everybody perfect when they get to you. And a lot of times when people get to you, it's so important to meet them where they're at and just make sure it's enjoyable knowing that this won't be the priority in their life. So when the person comes to you that isn't working out, that has a crap diet, that wants to lose some weight and turns to you not as sell me a gym membership, but like, is this really for me? I think the question is, do you come back with them and say, well, listen, if you don't get your macros in five, then you're not going to get the sleep. What? That's like, and here's your metaphor, right? This is no different than when I learned all about web development and someone would come to me and say, I just need a website. I should have just taken that word when they said just and known exactly how much value they put in that website. If you say just a website and you get to me who thinks about every single detail of how a user interacts with it, even though we're all optimizing for probably one to four seconds, Right, like that's my whole life is I one to four seconds. To lose twenty pounds, you've, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you've instantly put the value exactly. On it. So you have to you have to meet them where they're at, and then from there create the opportunity for them to walk up the ladder, not drag them kicking and screaming up the ladder to say, "See how much better your life can be." Yeah, I uh, you going back to the arm moving thing? It's so funny because I remember the shift, and I didn't have a name for it until twenty nineteen, but. It, the shift was I, I no longer wanted the gym like I want used to. I never I didn't want it to be the third place. I didn't want the Starbucks it right. Right. I didn't want it to be a home anymore. I just wanted it to be. And it was uh, I you know give props to Evan over at Tribe and now he's with all of TSG all these boutique brands. But he's like, bro, you just want it to be a pillar of their schedule. That's it. And that was just that was such an unlock for me. And it's like it's one of those things like what I do with clients trying to brand their shit like I had it in my head I just couldn't get it out of my mouth and when he said you just want to be a pillar of their schedule it just it's like taking a shower it's like going to pick it up their kids it's something important throughout the day that they get done sometimes obligatory right sometimes like I know I need to work out because whatever and it's just good for me and I like habits I like who I am I'm not as bitchy and cranky and I'm better at work and I'm a better dad or whatever but eight times out of ten I actually truly enjoy coming here it is fun whether it's the social element Right, whether it's I actually enjoyed the style of workout and the way it makes whatever the element is that you enjoy, but yeah, that was I, I remember that specifically. But I think that that also brings up an awesome point to kind of even what we talked about earlier, like finding defining what makes a good entrepreneur. And I think that what you're what you identified there, what he opened up to you was a bedrock of consumer behavior, which is this is now a point that you can go to with whatever business you're using and understand that you want to be a pillar in their schedule. So driving people towards something a little bit more abstract is definitely more difficult, but if you can do it, oh my God, because now it doesn't matter what's on the other end. You're driving them to have some pillar in their schedule, no different than the metrics that you would think about these companies, right? Like somebody may say, oh, Facebook must be just really all about how many users they have. Maybe, I mean, it's definitely a component or man, it's just all about more content that you post. Yeah or more advertising, right? Cause that's where all the money comes from. They're optimizing for app usage. How many hours a day are you on it? That's all they care. That's all that matters, right? So if that's the only metric that matters, I always say like, if you can boil down your business to a single metric and try to grow that 10% a week, 
you have an unbelievably great business, right? And and 10% is super fast. If you want to do 10% a month and grow more like a slow business, also awesome. Not necessarily a startup, more like a, a traditional lifestyle business, also cool. But if you're trying to by yourself track 60 metrics that you think may or may not be impact, and half of them are guesses, and half of them you got off a line, and one from a template from a marketing guy, like there is no guiding light. So you now looking at like, oh shit, I'm just trying to get a portion of their day creates a, mo- a much more, while abstract goal, a lot more tangible things that you can do to push them there, right? Like they talk about, and this is, so here's my big guess, right? When we talk about Apple and Peloton, this actually plays in perfectly because what Peloton may seemingly do for Apple is enhance their fitness platform. Yeah, at a very, very basic level, yes. But what I look at is like, how often do you spend on your phone now? Right, so let's say the average person, I think it came out, the average screen time's four and a half hours. Let's say three of those hours is on your phone. So the average iPhone user is on their phone for three hours a day. If I add Peloton, that just added an extra hour. That's 20, 21 hours, 20 hours. And that's it, day, right? Yeah. So like you're looking at, oh my God, an acquisition that's, let's say, so if they purchase them for 400, if they've purchased Precore for 450, they have to be around a 25, $30 billion valuation now, right? Like they, they're up there, Peloton. Apple doesn't look at that. It's a line item. They're a three-quarter of a trillion-dollar company. So them acquiring Peloton is not crazy at all. And all it does is it 33% increases the usage of their already existing devices that we know is huge, expands that 1 billion people to 1.2 billion people, and on top of that, gives them a new way to sell the wearables that they're all putting their money into now, right? Like Apple Watch becomes something that you have to get because the experience of their fitness app is not the same unless you're also tracking heart rate, blood, all that other stuff. And that's their game. Their game is to make it so that everything is revolves around your iPhone. And you even mentioned the car earlier. That whole thing is premised on the fact that you already have the key in your pocket, that the music's in your pocket, the key is in your pocket. You walk it, imagine the experience that they can create. You walk into a car, that was built by a software company. It's going to be screened out, so all of your early adopters are going to be so pumped about it. It's going to start wirelessly remotely. You could put it on a schedule, no doubt, from your phone. Tesla's already got that technology. And Joe Rogan said the coolest – no, it wasn't Joe. It was Tom Segura, the comedian. said the coolest thing I ever heard about, um, the most – like, it made me want to buy a Tesla so bad. He goes, it's something kind of cool about waking up in the morning and going out to your car, and it updated overnight. And you got a new feature of your car. Of course, that's the evolution. Of course, that's the evolution, right? Your mirror now functions as a way for you to connect with people over fitness. It was just a mirror in your house, and now it has this unbelievable functional purpose. Driving will no longer be about getting from A to B. We knew that as soon as autonomous hit them, right? It's not about transport anymore. Now it's about what can be done in that transport. You just got 30 minutes of your day back. So what do you want to do? Maybe you could schedule a meeting that you just sit in your car. Yeah, and like how, your many car takes, bi- yeah, how many new businesses get built? How we many, can have yeah. a meet. We could do this podcast while we're driving out to the to the yeah. you know to the water. We could sit there in a in a room with two mics. That's basically. I mean, if you've seen some of the new concepts that have come out, not from the Apple Car, but from some of the other companies, who are in the full autonomous. There's no steering wheel. They're just all sit- facing the middle, and it's just moving around. I mean, that changes the way we work. It changes the way we interact. It changes what they can monetize. So. So much of this, if you understand what the bigger players are trying to do, you could figure out what niche you should try to be going after. You should try to figure out like, and here's a great example of how this plays down on the micro level. How many fitness professionals that get any sort of awareness tell you, I'm going to launch my own app? Yeah. Okay. Let's look at this. Real estate is a very good industry. We know that over time, real estate has been one of the- Always appreciate Screen real estate is the same market. Right? So, yeah, you may be able to get 
a 15-year-old to download any app on his phone once and try it. Mr. Beast just got a million people to do that. I don't think that's any indication that Mr. Beast Burger is now going to be this unbelievably skyrocketing company. I think a million 15-year-olds were willing to try to get a burger from a guy so that they can comment on it and hopefully get reposted. I don't think that's a clear indication that there is some sort of market here. In the same way that if you're a 35-year-old who has 100,000 followers on Instagram and says, I know how to make a tech company, because that's what you're saying. When you say you're building an app, apps are not just extensions of brand anymore. There are full companies that do just what you're talking about, but you're going to do it with no education and technology? That's, come on. Like it's, it's a huge jump, and you're going to ask them to download something on their phone built by, uh, no offense, but this is not your job, right? It's no different than me saying, I want someone to pay me $400 a month for personal training. I don't know anything. I've done it, but I have no idea what would make me a good personal trainer, and you're trying to extract that much capital out of me? You're a fitness professional. Why are you trying to build an app, right, to cash in on a short-term opportunity? That's fine, but it's not longevity. You're not going to get somebody to keep that app on their phone for the rest of it. How many people still have the MindBody app? Right, like you get rid of it at some point. It's just like I don't want this. Yeah, and it just I think it ties up and wraps in nicely with again, when you step into lanes that you shouldn't be, you you go one way. You have there have the imposter syndrome like you talked about, and and maybe there's a route you should be. You know, it's imposter syndrome's there, but it's something you should deploy and and check out and and pursue. And then there's the other one where you're you're doing this because you feel it's what I need to do. It's what everyone else has done. And yep. if you really sift through the shit and you really like listen, you call yourself in your own bullshit. Like, well, yeah, I, I shouldn't do an app. No, I definitely should not be doing this. That's not why. Just you know, just like the trainer who is uh, who feels the need. Like, well, well, trainers open gyms. I need to go open a gym. But if they really sat down and did it, it's because three of their other trainer buddies have opened gyms and they feel that's what the definition of success is. But really, they don't. That's not what you need to do to be successful. And even bigger than that, and I feel like I just have to promote this book right now. Uh, predictably irrational because I feel like so many topics that we've covered in this are in this book. And the idea behind the book is that. We are unbelievably irrational as humans. Our decision-making process is not a rational one. You're super rational about what toilet paper you buy, right? Because it's sitting next to one and it's like, this one's 69 cents cheaper. I'm going to get this one, right? But yet when you go purchase a car, you go, do I really need that extra entertainment package? Come on. It's $1,500. You were just complaining about 69 cents. And now you're telling me that you're willing to spend another $1,500 because it's relative to the $25,000 price tag? Come on. That's completely irrational. But what this guy says, and I can't remember his name, Dan something, um is that we're not just irrational, but we're predictably irrational. So if you're able to go in, and this is a great book for marketing because you're able to see the consumer psychology behind some of the most irrational decisions we make along the way. And one of those irrational decisions is thinking that you could start a tech company if you're a fitness professional, right? It's like, oh no, of course I can because this is what everyone else is doing. But you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. You have no idea the network and relationships. And with white labeling products nowadays, you go find out that the CRM that you love so much that's competing with these other three CRMs is the same exact platform with a different face on it, right? It's like when you first found out when you were a kid that Hollister and Abercrombie were owned by the same company and you're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. You fight each other and keep people between you. That happens with tech too. So be careful going up against these giants who are like, oh no, we're good. And you're like, oh no, I'm going to take my brand elsewhere. I think that there's a middle ground, which is become more knowledgeable in technology because it's not going anywhere. It's changing everything about the world we live in. And I can't stand when I hear the excuse from a 38-year-old gym owner, uh, tech's just not for me. What? What? My aunt said when I was like 12 years old that she didn't believe in the internet. And I'm like, what? You don't, what? You don't get to choose that. It's a thing, right? Technology is a thing. It's changing every aspect of your business. Jump in it now. Figure out how to evaluate software products. And this is one of those things that I really want to try with this new podcast, I'm looking at it as almost like bite-sized consulting, 
right? Like I'm over the whole spend an hour with me and I'll try to tell you everything that I know. Like, no, I, I know a lot and I could probably answer a lot of your questions in eight minutes and three minutes and let me try to figure out that digestible form just to unblock you from your search into what kind of technology you should be using. Well, I'm a... Uh... I'm going to quote, we're gonna, I'm hoping that we could use this as a soundbite. And so, yeah, that's going to be the big, the Joe's big prediction. The Apple buys Peloton. And if it happens, we're going to be able to, uh, we're going to be able to come back to this and <laughs> do an entire, that's going to be your claim to fame in 2021. That'll be great. That'll, That'll be, good. be so good. Joey, always good, brother. Always good catching up. Um, and uh, yeah, I really, well, next time I want to, next time we get in, I want to hear how your sober January went. And if yeah. you want, if you want. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm not, I, I'm in position to win because I'm definitely the most out of shape. <laughs> the question is, that's also the biggest barrier. <laughs> Alrighty guys. Appreciate it. Peace. Take care.